When the Holy Spirit brings freedom and abundant life, the Holy Spirit releases the superabundance of the kingdom of God, and it's our Father's good pleasure to give us the kingdom. Luke 12 and John 10, Jesus said, I, you know, I'm the good shepherd, I've come to give you an abundant life, but he does mention the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and so I, I feel like I'm going to, you know, this isn't gonna be like a, a soaking in the river message, but it is when we're in the river and the river completely possesses us, our entire life is transformed. And the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth who leads us into all the truth. And so um, I started thinking about the thief. We were having a conversation with some, some dear friends and they were talking about how the Lord had been dealing with them to deal with strongholds in their lives, and so they've been in this very transformative season. And this got me thinking about how the thief comes to steal our potential. You know, and some, you know, people totally love Jesus but live inconsistent lives. Or, you know, like, like we're happy most of the time, but sometimes we just get triggered. Like, you know, like somebody tells you, hey, you can't do that, and you're suddenly you're like, I'm an American, I can do it, I want, you know, and, and it's like, what's going on? So, so I, anyway, I was thinking about this, and uh, the, uh, you know, the obvious way the enemy attacks the, you know, the people of God to steal from us, he's not talking about sinners, he's talking about like people that love Jesus, but have been stolen from. If you don't have anything, the thief doesn't come to you, right? Like, eh, don't bother with that house. But when you're full of all the blessings in heavenly places, there's a lot to steal. And so the first way he steals actively is with temptation. Jesus had been out in the, you know, he's baptized, the Holy Spirit came upon him, he spent 40 days fasting in the, in the desert, and then it says, and the tempter came to tempt him. And so he tempts us with sin. Sin is falling short of the glory of God. He tempts us with something to take us out of a place of communion and submission and blessing with God. And so sin, you know, it's active. And, and we, you know, we're pretty obvious. Usually we get convicted when we sin and unless we just harden our heart and keep doing it. But, and, and so we, we confess it. We come to the Lord and confess it and he cleanses us not just of most, but of all unrighteousness. It's an amazing, amazing relationship we have. The, the, his more passive weapon that might not be as obvious, but is just accusation. Um, you know, Revelation chapter 12 talks about, it says this, that the kingdom and the glory and the authority of the, you know, has come and the accuser of the brethren is cast down and then it tells us that we overcome him by the word of our testimony, by the blood of the lamb, and, because, and by not loving our own lives, our personalities, even to the death, like being willing to go through anything for that. And so, um, but accusation is, is a passive weapon because what happens is it, it comes to us and he accuses us. By the way, the word, the accuser of the brethren, is where we get the English word, category or categorize. And so I just want to say this so that you're alert to the ways, you know, the culture is corrupt and so the culture is always 
attempting to indoctrinate us into strongholds. And so identity politics categorizes people into all kinds of categories, you know, and if this category, these two categories aren't working, such as proletariat and bourgeoisie, then we come up with new categories, like white, black, poor, rich, uh, you know, all, all the crazy categories, and then everybody gets offended by each other, and you have intersectionality of victimhood, and then you're the best, and, and you know, it's just garbage. It's, gar- it's straight, pure from hell. So, you know, if you're, God deals with us and blesses us as individuals, not as categories. Like, how many know, like, every kind of, male sin, female sin, white sin, black sin, Asian sin, it's all sin. And likewise, when you get born again, you don't get into this category of like, well, you're a born again Latino, as opposed to, you know, so it, it doesn't, God just blesses you and you're his children and we're adopted into his family. And he broke down dividing walls. Anyway, so when we get condemned though, when we get accused and we go like, oh, I'm really a terrible person, it paralyzes us. So, you know, sin just produces death. The wages of sin is death. Uh, you know, being condemned for, produces paralysis, you know, so you're not active, you're witnessed, you feel like you're compromised, you're a hypocrite, and just keep going, yeah, you're bad, you're just always bad, don't don't open your mouth, because, you know, and it's just like, that's what accusation does. But then the third thing that, and this got me thinking, is that he uses strongholds which are hidden, like strongholds are structures that are built, uh, and they they're his hidden weapon and they're dormant. You know, they can lie hidden and submerge until stress or trauma comes and then they get triggered. Like landmines, you know, or like, like uh, you know, mines underwater. That, and you're going along thinking everything's fine and then, <laughs> has that ever happened to anybody? And so, so I was thinking about that. Yeah, inconsistent like, we are blessed with every blessing in heavenly places. So, I mean, it, literally, if someone asks you, how are you, you could say, I'm blessed and highly favored of the Lord. It's entirely true. The, so the goal is, wait, not just when I feel good, when I'm at church, when I'm in worship, when I'm saying amen, but I want to, to live this way 24-7, which leaves very little room for self-pity, gloom, doubt, you know, misery, and so I said, well, what is this, you know? And so I'm, I'm thinking about this, and of course the scripture that comes to mind, that even the term stronghold, what is a stronghold? A stronghold is a fortress. It can be a prison, but it, it's something that protects what's in it. And so, and Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, he says, verse three, you know, that we don't war with fleshly, with natural weapons, but the weapons of our warfare, verse four says, that, we, that we, our weapons are mighty through God. They have divine power to destroy strongholds. Now, that means that they're going to utterly demolish and dismantle the parts. So in other words, a stronghold is a structure. And, you know, it's built with, with different things. And so... Um, so I was praying about this, and I said, God, you know, I don't actually know, like, how, you know, how does a stronghold get a hold of somebody? You know, like, how does someone get 
stuck with a stronghold inside them. And so, uh, I don't know if it was Monday night or Tuesday night, I had a vivid dream, which was very unusual for me, and it was so unusual when I woke up, I, you know, I, I thought about it several times over the next few days, and I said, I think I'm supposed to, to unpack this a bit for everybody. So here's the dream. And I, you know, I have dreams, and sometimes I think my dreams are sort of weird, and you know, I'm always amazed at people that always have these amazing, glorious, beautiful, symbolic dreams, and I just think like, man, that'd be awesome, you know? Just get in bed like, okay, what's, where will I go tonight? You know, like, but, uh, but so I, I did go someplace. This is pretty vivid. Like, vivid means it seems so real, like, you know, when it's happening, you don't realize it's a dream. So in this, I have this dream. I'm in a large, old, you know, large property, estate, something. It was green. There were trees. And it was like a campus or, or a, a large estate. And on, up on the top of the hill was a very large building that could have been like, you know, a place where people meet. It could have been like a university or a, or a castle or something like that, <laughs> Buckingham Palace, it, it, you know, or Westminster Hall or something like that. It was, it was huge and it was, and there were a lot of people around, but it, I actually didn't see any faces. I felt like Anne was there, but I didn't see her. And uh, it's kind of like me. I'm at home, but Anne doesn't see me. <laughs> but the, uh, <laughs> I'm studying, you know. But no, there were people around. But sometimes in dreams, you know, there's, a, there's something God's pointing out. So I was the, the subject of this dream. And, uh, and in the dream, someone said, hey, it's time to go up to this huge stone hall for a meeting. You know, and perhaps it was some kind of lecture hall. And so... When I turned to go in the dream, I turned to go, and in the, the, the dream, I had the ever-present smartphone, right? Like, like, so in the dream, I, like, that's weird. I have this phone, and it was bigger than this one. And I have this phone, and I just look at it as I'm turning to go, and suddenly the top half of the screen is filled with this most amazing, uh, vivid, beautiful graphic art uh, images that represented a foreign country. They weren't actual photos, photos, but they were ab- they were captivating, fascinating, and the, and they somehow they expressed the intriguing nature of a distant land. And so this is you know as a ch- boy I used to on rainy days when you can go out I'd I'd like look at maps and read books about other countries and stuff. So this has always been a fascination for me. And, but what happened was, and it would change, and it was like, whoa, this is, and pretty soon it moved from the top half of the screen to the whole screen. And then it started like changing really fast, and there was something I needed to do. Like I looked at the phone because I needed to, you know, somehow tap the screen and put, do something. I don't know if it was a message or something, but I, so all these things are happening, and I, I tapped the screen, and this little box would pop up for a second, and then it would be gone. And I, and it, it was out of control. It was totally like, whoa, you know, it's amazing, but it was terrible. And so, um, it, it, so quickly, these images filled the whole screen with constantly changing images of different lands, They o- overriding every other function of the phone. And I couldn't access any of the apps. It was out of control, and in my dream, I, I remember, you know, like somehow, how do you know this? Like, I don't even know it in real life, but if you push these two buttons at the same time, it turns it off. 
So I go, and it won't turn off. And it's just going, and, I, and suddenly I start getting panicked. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, what am I going to do? What am I? And, and I realize, oh, I'll just have to wait until the battery dies. And then maybe it'll stop. Maybe it won't. I don't know. And I woke up. And I felt like, wow, that was wild. And went back to sleep. I, but I, when I woke up, I realized God had answered my, you know, I was, I w- wasn't like this big prayer, God, please show me exactly what strongholds are. But I, I did say, God, I'm, help me to understand strongholds. I w- wasn't expecting a dream, but I thought like, whoa, that's how a lie gets in. You know, like this was like, there was some kind of signal floating around in the the cloud, you know, maybe it was 5G, I don't know what it was, but it, somehow the, the phone received it and it became an infection that completely took over the phone. This is how a stronghold works. So it describes how an addiction works, how like, like um, just stuff gets in your mind and you can't get it out. And, and I thought like, man, and, and especially the sense of panic and hopelessness. Like I thought, well, maybe all I get, I just have to wait for the battery to die. And I'm like, I'll never change. I'm just going to die like this. And so, um, so I think this is how the enemy's lies, they float around in our culture, they're all around us, and they're waiting for an interface that accepts a signal. It's kind of like when a virus gets into your body and then it can multiply through your body. It has no life in itself. It's a lie but it can kill you. And I, I was thinking about all the lies that are around us. Like we, in our culture, there are lies. There, people are trying to indoctrinate little children with total lies because they know if they, can, if they can get into their pure, defenseless, trusting little hearts, they're building strongholds that will keep them from the abundant life of God and that can be triggered when something happens that they've been programmed to react to. Woo! It's like, I thought, this is pretty intense. Okay, I guess maybe we should talk about this. Because it's the Holy Spirit who will lead us into all the truth, and the truth will set us free. See, you know, let it rain, let it rain. You know, when God reigns, he reigns truth on us. It's love, it's truth. The ultimate truth is that he loves you. That he's, you know, that he's good, that he loves you. And so we know and believe the love God has for us. And this is what changes us and sets us free. And when love is perfected, all fear is gone. Every stronghold is gone. But, you know, it's not, is you know, we can be destroyed for lack of understanding. <laughs> okay, so let's read this. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. Though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh, for our weapons are mighty through God, or they have divine power to destroy strongholds. And then in 5, it gives us, it gives us kind of like a list here of what, what is it that we're going to tear apart. Arguments, lofty opinions raised against the knowledge of God, and we're going to take every thought captive to obey Christ, and be ready to punish every disobedience when our obedience is complete, when your obedience is complete. So what does that mean? Well, arguments, this word arguments, it's arguments in the 
ESV, it's arguments in the New King James, um, it's arguments in the NIV, it's speculations in the New American Standard. It's imaginations in the old King James, you know? And so it's this word, what it means, like a speculation, that's a good term, a speculation is a conclusion based on an assumption that cannot be proven. So if you tell people, you give people an assumption and it's totally false, then you're going to get the wrong conclusion. You know, this is logic, which is no longer taught <laughs> to, to our children, which is, anyway, that'll change. But, but at the Sequoia Christian School, they are gonna learn how to think. Okay, so, okay, I'll say that. And at many other great schools and home schools, and there's a lot of great public school teachers, although, you know, many public schools have been really infected because the school boards, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. Okay, but we're, we're gonna, how do we get rid of strongholds in our own lives, which bring forth, so we have consistent living. Okay, so I love the message here. Uh, Eugene Peterson's paraphrase, starting with verse five, he translates the weapons of our warfare as the tools of our trade, which I, yeah, I think that kind of waters it down, but that's okay. Okay, <laughs> they're not for marketing or manipulation, but they are for, here's what they're good for, demolishing the entire massively corrupt culture. See, we're all gonna say amen. <laughs> but, you know, we say amen, but if it's in us, <laughs> then, you know, it, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> the... We use our powerful God tools for smashing warped philosophies. Yes. For tearing down barriers erected against the truth of God. And I love this for taking thoughts captive because taking thoughts captive sounds exhausting, doesn't it? I mean, you know, like, whoop, I had a thought. Oh, I had a thought. Like, get back in there, you thought. But I love, so that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about we, we, we get so familiar with what's true that we can recognize when something's not true and put it back in the place where it should be. So here's how he paraphrases it. Fitting every loose thought and emotion and impulse into the structure of life shaped by Christ. It's just like, get it in the kingdom, you know? <laughs> so, so, okay, so what are strongholds and perceptions? The mind structures input into associations or image. That's how the human mind works. By the way, your mind uses your brain, but your mind is bigger than your brain. You know, when, when people go out of their bodies, their mind is still there. You know, they, can, they, they have out-of-body experiences and they come back and they remember. Well, how did they remember it wasn't in their brain? No, but it gets downloaded. I don't know how it works. It, it's a mystery. But we have the mind of Christ. This is good, you know. And so <laughs> if we can use it. So let me say three words, and I'll show you how your mind works. So when I say coffee, bacon, and eggs, what do you think? Breakfast, good, even though it's almost lunchtime or past lunchtime for some of you. So, okay, now, that's good. See, that's, that's the human mind. By the way, if you said that to a gorilla, they wouldn't have a clue. Okay, so if I say arguments, opinions, and thoughts, what do you say? Hmm, how about family reunion? <laughs> School board meeting. No, no. Okay, but eventually, but it's actually mind. You know, that's what, because these are the three words used 
in, in verse 5 the, about the mind is where the strongholds are erected. And so, um, so the mind structures our experiences into something that we can manage, you know. And uh, it, it um, but the mind may not, you know, may not know the truth, and then the thinking is futile. So when we destroy arguments and lofty opinions, by arguments or speculations, lofty opinions are arrogant attitudes and, and high things raised against the knowledge of God. It's very interesting that so many um, ungodly maxims and values get adopted and repeated in most cultures. That's how the cultures are debased. But the truth sets us free. And so we come to that we are actually given a new mind when, you know, we, our mind is renewed by the word of God and it transforms us. And the Psalms, I think it's Psalm 86, David prays this prayer, unite my heart to fear your name. So when our mind is renewed, our heart is united, there's no strongholds. This is a good thing. But there might be a stronghold if we experience frustration and powerlessness on a regular basis. So, so you know, if, we're, if we feel powerless to change a situation that we know that goes against the will of God, then there might be a stronghold. For instance, typical, you know, Jesus says, love your enemies, forgive your enemies. Well, let's start with forgive them. I, have, I can forgive them, but I don't have to love them. But he actually says, love your enemies. And so somebody said, well, I forgave them, but I just don't like them. And so do you understand you're creating a space that God hasn't created? And you think, well, it's just normal. It's just how it is. You know, some people like this, some people like that. I don't like everybody. But how many know God loves everybody? <laughs> oh, shoot. You know, and... <laughs> And Paul writes, as dearly beloved children, imitate God. <laughs> Laying down your lives, your personalities, your suitcase for each other. You know, so just say, a little challenging there. But, so, but sometimes we'll make it a reason. We think, like, I'm okay with that, you know. I'm just good to be at 80%. But the problem is, if we're good, if we're good with 80%, what's the other percent? What is, who does that belong to? And how did that get in there, that barrier? The other, another thing is, the Bible tells us that marriage is good. You know, I love uh, Proverbs 18. Um, it says, 18.22, he who finds a wife finds what is good and obtains favor from the Lord. And all the women said, amen, you found me. But, but you know, I mean, I love it in Hebrew, and I know you don't know Hebrew, but listen, it's all said in four words. Matzah isha, matzah tov. Like you could see the, the rap. Okay, all you boys, say this out loud. Matzah isha, matzah tov. So now this little boy, when he becomes a good man, a young man, he's looking at all these girls and he's going, matzah isha, matzah tov. Tov means it can't get any better than that. You know, I mean, it's like, like so God was actually giving us programming to recreate Eden in our hearts, minds, intentions. And we obtain 
ratzon, favor from the Lord and delight. And so, but, you know, two people get married, a couple kids. Ann and I, you know, we'd been saved all of three weeks. We got married. We were both 21. <laughs> I'd been 21 for a few months longer than Ann, but I had no excuse. You know, our maturity level was about 16. We had no great modeling. And, you know, we loved each other. I fell in love with her when I was 14, but we didn't know how to do it. So we'd have these days like, amazing and terrible. We'd hurt each other's feelings, you know, do something like, I didn't, you know, and I won't even tell you all the stuff I did, but I mean, it's just stupid, mostly. Okay, but, and so you can have trouble with that, and you could get to the point where you go, I can't take it anymore. And it might be true that you can't in your own strength take it. But, and then you have children who grow up in dysfunctional or painful families. They might come, and there's lots of kids around today because there's so many broken families, so many kids who've grown up in single-parent families that never, they, you know, they're just going like, I ain't never getting married. Why? Because my family. I know it's terrible. It's pain, it's suffering, it's calamity, violence, all kinds, you know, whatever it is, and they what they don't know is, is there's a stronghold built robbing them from find a wife, find what is good. It's like God has got this promise and we're, we're, we're trying to undo what the culture has done. And so God will set us free. And you know, the deal is you can grow up in a horrible family and you can have an amazing family by the truth of God's word, by the grace of God, by a renewed heart, by a changed personality. Woo-hoo! You know, isn't, I mean, it's like, it drives the devil crazy when you get all the blessings. He's going, wait, wait, what about, don't you remember how bad it was growing up? Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, the, the old cliche, when he reminds you of your past, you should remind him of his future. Because it's, uh, <laughs> you know, your future is blessing and overcoming. So here's a definition of a stronghold, and then I'm going to give an illustration, and then I think we'll pray. This is two parts, and I'm not sure how late to go in the second service because we're trying to manage time and babies and all that stuff. But I, I do. I think this is a good way to understand a stronghold, and there's a definition which will soon appear on the screen. Oh, there it is. And this is adapted from something Ed Silvoso wrote. A spiritual stronghold is a mindset impregnated with hopelessness from which we, can, from which we accept as unchangeable situations we know are contrary to the will of God. Have you ever accept, just accepted something like, well, you know, it's just the way it is. But if it's contrary to the will of God, I mean, we may live with it, but we live with it as a tribulation that's developing patience, not as it's impossible for it to change, right? When we, don't, when we become hopeless about the possibility that God would change it, then we're allowing a stronghold to separate us from all the promises of God. Now, why? well, wait, I got promises, and they haven't happened yet. No kidding. <laughs> I, I, somewhere in the middle 90s, I, I, I realized I had a, a, de, a defective left shoulder. And, and it bugs me. And I've been praying for healing ever since, you know. And I mean, it, it worked <laughs> up 
up until a certain point where it didn't. And I don't know, injuries, motorcycles, horses, skiing, brothers, you know, <laughs> trees, stupidity. All, you know, many times, I, you know, like how many concussions have I had? I have no idea. Because <laughs> they didn't count them when I was kids. You know, when we were kids, it's just like, he's out. But the, uh, anyway, the, but this doctor said, oh, well, you know, I won't tell you what he said, but I didn't agree with it. And so I've been getting prayer for over 30 years. And, you know, sometimes I don't, like, they'll say, if you have a problem with your left shoulder, raise your hand. I'm going like, oh, it hurts. Okay, I'll do my best. But, and sometimes, but, okay, that's it. Oh, I'm back. Okay. I didn't know where I went. Did you know, like, Mitch McConnelly froze for 30 seconds? <laughs> Anyway, so Senator McConnell, sorry, I don't want to be disrespectful, but I thought, uh-oh, it's happening to me. me. <laughs> so, help me, Jesus. Okay, well, if you're laughing, you don't care if how late this goes. Okay, but, um, but if we accept something as true, so now, I don't raise my hand every single time, but I still do, and I often, every day, I say, Jesus... You can do a miracle any time, because I had it, you know, the doctor said, oh, this will take a miracle. I said, okay, he does that. I mean, it's different than healing, you know, because healing is, I'll just do physical therapy, and I'll get better. But anyway, but does it, does it destroy my faith? Do I, have I built a stronghold like God can heal anything but not my left shoulder? Absolutely not. I think the, God, the same God that put a new little fetus in our dear, little, our dear sister Emily's uterus after she had totally lost the one, he can do anything. He can raise the dead. He can give me a new shoulder. I don't know what good it is for at my age. I'm thinking, God, it would have been better if you did it 30 years ago. But <laughs> it'll be awesome if he does it this year or today. Okay, so... Um, but so if we get a, if we if we accept something as changeless, we distort the truth about God's greatness. Now here's here's a really good example that I and I'm going to be very kind to Zechariah, Zechariah in Luke one because I think sometimes, especially when I was young, I would be snarky about everybody because it you know made people laugh or whatever. But I don't think Zechariah was stupid. Zechariah, you know, and his wife, if you don't know who Zechariah is, read Luke chapter one. But Zechariah and his wife had been married a long time. He was a priest and he was ministering before the Lord, burning incense. And the angel Gabriel appeared to him and said, Zechariah, your prayers have been answered. And, and, and told him, you and your wife are gonna have a son. And, and he said all these amazing things. And Zechariah's response was, how shall I know this? for I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. So he, he had taken something very natural, very normal, something they prayed for decades, didn't get the answer, you know, and at a certain point they just said, well, that's it, it's impossible now. And, and so his question was a natural question, but it was a stronghold in his life that he was no longer expecting God would do this. And... You know what? Gabriel said, look, you know, I just, God sent me here to tell you this, and you will get it. But in the meantime, you know, <laughs> close your mouth. 
I'm mixing up French and Spanish, or I'd say it, ferme la bouche, you know. <laughs> uh, the, the, uh, and, and so Zechariah was, was, didn't say anything else, but can you imagine the joy as that stronghold got torn down, that he started feeling spry, and Elizabeth started like, wow, Elizabeth, you look younger, and Elizabeth said, Zechariah, I might be ovulating. Really? That hasn't happened in 20 years. Well, you know what? I'm feeling kind of young myself. You know, I mean, it's like, whoa! Do you understand how many tears of gratitude and wonder he shed during that whole time when he couldn't talk? He was like, sometimes God has to shut us up so we we can just stop worrying about stuff. And it's like, oh, and then when she says, guess what? They didn't have those little strips in those days, but (laughs) how would she know if she was late? You know, like, it's like, well, there's something happening in here. It's like, uh, he's like, oh, God. So, you know, even though we often pick on him for Luke 1.18, the next time he opens his mouth, verse 67, Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, blessed art thou. You know, it's the Benedictus. And he has this whole huge prophetic word. I'll go for that. And he got any strongholds you want to have torn down? Jesus. Anyway, so, you know, this is what happens. We read the word of God. Okay, we'll do quickly, and we will be out of here pretty soon. Okay, six minutes. Give me five minutes, six minutes. Okay, so they fragment our mind, and this is how it works. Trauma, in this world, we have tribulation. Trauma, offense, cultural pollution can obscure Christ's victory in our life. So you're in the world, boom, you know, it welcome. You know, it's always going to happen. But if we receive it, it can start to split up our personality into compartments. Like, well, God is always good, but this will never change. And what's happening is, next slide, a stronghold has raised itself as a fortress against the full moment-by-moment knowing of God. You know, we just put it in there. We go, well, God won't do that. You don't know what God won't do. (laughs) I sure don't. You know, the longer I know him, the less I know about what he won't do. And so we compartmentalize. And so the one side of the, and it's a lofty opinion that's based, it's a false argument that erects a barrier and gives us categories. So we hear the promises of God and we love them. <laughs> you know, Romans chapter seven, in my inner man, I delight in the promises of God. And so we put it all there. We hear the sermon. We go, amen, brother. That was good preaching. And then as we walk to the car, it gets put in the back compartment where we keep the promises of God. And then our kids are acting up. Somebody pulls in front of us. And by the time we get home, we're ticked off and ugly. That ever happened to anybody? Jesus, free us from 
strongholds. That we go, God, this is hard, but I know how good you are. And, that, and I know you guys are exceptional, so <laughs> I'm teaching the gifted class here. Okay, the, uh, but James calls it a double mind. It's a double soul. It's like two personalities that are in conflict with each other. And so, I, you know, I, my goal is, and this is what I have to get into next week, is that we find a way to eliminate this. It's not that hard. I mean, you can, be, you can do it all by effort, and it's a lot of work, and it takes discipline, but it's good discipline, you know, to, get, to fill yourself with the promises of God, with the Word of God, to watch what's coming out of your mouth, to, make, you know, to, to say what God's saying, and identify stinking thinking and all this stuff. But I'm telling you, encounters in the presence of God the moving of the Holy Spirit, he can change you in a moment. He can, you know, you could have a night of weeping or ecstasy or maybe no external evidence and wake up the next day and you're like, what happened? I'm a different person. You know, I mean, it's like God is, God's in the business of setting you free. I want you to stand up, yeah, please. And you probably want to stand up too, I, I would be it. But, but these strongholds, you know, they are, they're often based on good intentions. You know, like we, we're a very kind person and we accept something that is beyond that. You know, Jesus was telling his disciple, I'm going to suffer. And, and Peter said, no way. I took Jesus' side. He says, Jesus, I don't know. I've I think you're missing this right now because this is not going to happen to you. And it's the only time in the whole Bible that God ever called a person Satan, but he said, get, me, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> and he said, why? Because your, your mind is on the things of man, not on the things of God. So sometimes, God, anyway, and the, they're often, good can be the enemy of best. You know, so a lot of ways we think are inadequate to fully understand God. But the way, the real way we recognize it is, do these things, are there triggers? Do they get detonated? You know, like they were just buried bombs and then something happens and all hell breaks loose. And then you repent and you cry and you tell everybody you're sorry and say you'll never do it again. Okay, we forgive you and you're all happy and it's great. And I love that. God is good. But if it happens again and again, maybe it's like three months apart, maybe it's, but it's devastating to not be free from that. Would you agree? Like you just want it like, hey, once and done, we are, this will never happen again. So my goal is that the Holy Spirit will lead us into all the truth. Our culture exalts feelings over truth. So we have this we have this, like, two signals, like, well, I feel this way. And then we have what God says. And what God says will make you feel so much better. Anybody want to be holy, righteous, <laughs> you know, purified and spotless? I do. And so we need the river. We need the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about that next week. But I, here's the goal. 
that we would, it would become normal that we fit every loose, stray thought, emotion, or impulse into the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Would you like that? And then he integrates our lives, he sets us free, and what we live in is called shalom. And when he gives us the promise, we go, wow, I'm not there yet, but I can't wait to make that my life. So lift your hands and your hearts and come back next week to get part two, which will be the, the practical stuff. Holy Spirit, would you reveal, I just asked you a question, help me understand strongholds, and you gave me this vivid thing that I hope I never forget. God, we pray that you would so transform us that no lie could find a home in our hearts, in our brains, in our emotions, in our relationships, that we, that we would steward our bodies as the temple of the Holy Spirit, filled with truth. I pray you'd lead us and guide us into all truth. I pray you would break down these strongholds that they seem so mighty and they're so puny. Pray that the word of God and the truth would set us free. I pray that the love of God would wash over us and transform our feelings, our emotional life. We pray that these compartments would be opened up and set free in our families, in our businesses, in our neighborhoods, in our ministries, in our children. In Jesus' name, can you say amen? Amen. And I know you won't forget it on the way to the parking lot. <laughs> All right. So I want to bless you, your overcomers. And if you, you need prayer for healing, there's healing. It happens every single week here. People are healed. Really significant healings. If you just need help, like I need help overcoming. This, I know I've got a stronghold. It was shine, It was. Beep, the alarm was going off when I was sitting here. Then we want to pray for you and the rest of you. I want to bless you. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May his face shine on you. May he be gracious to you. May his name be upon you. May his peace be upon you. May you know that he's smiling at you. You're his beloved. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. <laughs>